You're listening to the Avenue Church Podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. So I'm here in the middle of the summer series called Summer Heat, and I need to let you guys know, I'm from here, I know here, I've done all the summers here, but y'all don't know anything about heat, okay? It is 118 degrees in Phoenix, Arizona this past week. It's a dry heat. Yeah, so is fire and ovens and hell itself. Actually, hell is 122, which we might get to at that point. I've done the scriptural parsing out. I figured out how hot hell is. (laughs) But I'm here to actually bring the heat. And today we're actually going to talk about the fire of God, the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's pray to this God. Spirit of God, we acknowledge your presence here in this room today. And we're thankful. God, wherever we've come from, whoever we are, whatever we have gone through leading up to this point, we just pray for presence in this room. For you to center us, center our hearts, open our ears, make our souls receptive to your inbreaking in this room. We acknowledge your presence. God, we want to be sensitive to that presence. And we thank you for it. We pray this. In your son's name, amen. So Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians. They smashed the temple, their worship, their identity. They killed its kings and it slaughtered its armies. The nobility and the ones who were of power were taken away as exiles into the land of Babylon. All hope was gone year after year, generation after generation. And there was a prophet who was in Babylon speaking to God's people, constantly reminding his people what God is like and how God hasn't abandoned them while everything felt to be the opposite. This prophet's name was Ezekiel. And he one day has this vision where God takes Ezekiel and we'll read in chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel, verses one through three. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man or mortal, can these bones live? What a question. That's the question we are asking today. That is actually the question that is centered on Christian theology for all its years. Can these bones live? Now let's jump forward in this divine narrative, which all scripture is telling us what God is like and how God lives and loves. And he is a part of this story. And we get to Jesus who goes to still displaced and occupied Israel and God dwells among us. He rises to this fame, if you will, as a rabbi, and he gains this following that follows him into Jerusalem, where he is ultimately killed. His followers were always shattered by their expectations they had of 
this Messiah as they wanted him to pick up the sword. They wanted him to displace the Romans and regain Zion, the kingship of David here on this earth, rebuild the temple in a way that gives Israel its identity back. And Jesus had a way of saying, get behind me, Satan. Or it doesn't matter who's on the left and right. That's the wrong question. Or I'm going to die and raise in three days. Or hey, don't cut off that guy's ear. That's not what I've been talking about. As he puts it back on, Jesus subverting and changing the expectations of his followers. And his followers watched this humiliation of their leader Brutally murdered on the cross, a horrific scene. And there's a price put on their heads as well, as it is now acknowledged by the religious elite and the Romans that it is a rebellion that needs to be stamped out. If you're familiar with stories at all, you know that in a narrative there's conflict. There's climax, there's resolution in all good stories that make up, which we're going to talk about a lot more next week. But we have these climactic experiences and Jesus has been killed. And he's now at the conflict of the greatest foe of human existence. And that is death. The battle that cannot be won. The finality for all who breathe. That which comes in like a dark cloud and causes devastation and heartbreak and death. Jesus does what he said he was going to do and he raises in three days. And he goes to his disciples and they're in a room and he appears to them and they touch his wounds and they see that he's alive and surely... This story is done. He did it after all. It wasn't the way we thought he would do it, but he was killed and he defeated the greatest foe that no one has been able to beat. And he defeated death itself. And Jesus has won. The story now is over. But Jesus says, wait. Oh, don't, don't you? Did you have a physical response when I said that? Wait. How tired of waiting are we? I mean, we've been in this prolonged like liminal period of waiting for 18 months and we're just waiting for some semblance of normalcy to return, which we didn't actually even like normalcy before that. We were sad then too, but we're waiting We get frustrated when the prime package isn't one day, it's two day, and then it's not a prime thing. I'm not buying that even though it's $100 cheaper paying for shipping that takes a week. We don't wait. But here Jesus is. The story's over. He defeated death. Isn't it over? Right. Jesus defeated death. Surely he can defeat Caesar. He defeated death. Satan is greater than Caesar. Satan is a bigger foe than Caesar. Jesus defeated Satan. So Jesus, now it's time. Get the sword. Let's go. But Jesus says, wait. In fact, he says in Luke, he says in Luke that his followers, his people in the room are not to leave the area until he returns. He makes a promise to them. 
And what's interesting about this is they were there from Galilee on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They go there, they make their sacrifices, they get clean, and then they go back and they get back to their everyday life, their normalcy. But Jesus tells them to wait there, which is a very dangerous place to wait because that's where you get crucified. You can go to Galilee and lay low for a while, but Jesus is telling them to wait. And that's a very dangerous thing for them to ask, but they're faithful because they've seen that Jesus has conquered the grave and is who he says that he was. But it's not normal for people who were there on pilgrimage to stay because in the Jewish calendar, there's three festivals that happen that pilgrims come to the city for. One of them is the Passover where Jesus is killed. And then the next one is called the Festival of Weeks or what we know as Pentecost, which is the celebration, the pilgrimage of when God gave Moses the tablets and God's commands. So pilgrims from all over the known world come to this place. And Jesus has told his disciples to stay. And as the new pilgrims are coming, you know there's buzzing from the locals there as the new people come in because they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't even have the new news outlet as we know it. They didn't have newspapers or any modern way of knowing what's going on in the world. It was word of mouth. And these pilgrims from all over come in and people were saying, hey, you know what happened here like a month and a half ago? Do you know what happened? This, this fisherman, like carpenter rabbi guy came in and it really, really made the religious elites mad. The Pharisees were so mad at him. And they figured out a way to get Rome to see it as a rebellion and to crucify this guy. Yeah, there was a crucifixion here a month and a half ago. One of uh, our own, a Jewish man, was crucified. Isn't that crazy? And people are talking. And they're like, man, that is nuts. What happened? I wonder what the whole story was. That is insane. I guess I'll lay low because political tensions are high right now. And that's what's going on. And the people who saw it, who loved the man who was killed are hearing murmurings of that. But Jesus has told them to wait. And they're in a room waiting. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 21. You can follow along. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were, or they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So a vast amount of them. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Let's put that into context. We are in Waxahachie, Texas, Ennis, Texas, and then online. That would be like us walking into the commons area and hearing this beautiful, eloquent, like Latin being spoken, or French. And we know that people in Waxahachie don't really speak fluent French. Let's just be honest. And especially in Ennis, they don't. We know this. I'm not telling you something you don't know. But they're hearing these languages being spoken. And they're languages that these Galileans have no business speaking because they are, they're, they're rural. They're out there. They're fishermen. They smell bad. They look weird. They have a look and a voice and a cadence and all of those things. But they're speaking in these languages. And they utter amazed. Are all those speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? It goes on to list all the places that these people are from. 
And instead of reading every name, because I'm actually super image conscious and I don't want to make a mistake because I want you to perceive me as infallible and mistake avoidant, just know that it was a lot of people from a lot of different area in the known world hearing the things of God being spoken. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. These people speaking these languages, what are they saying is important? They're saying the things of God and they ask themselves this question, what does this mean? We're gonna spend a lot of time on that next week. But allow that phrase, that question to sit inside of you. And especially as you go out and hopefully come back next week, allow that question itself just to rest on you. Don't have to do anything with it. Don't figure it out. Please, if you come tell me what it means, I will not believe you because you don't know. (laughs) A lot of people think they know. What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. They're divided in what they're seeing happen by the Spirit of God. How true is that? Some hear them, they make fun of them, they've had too much wine. And then out of the group, the people speaking, comes one man. And this man is named Peter. Peter. Let's acknowledge the one speaking for a moment. Peter. The one who constantly put his foot in his mouth. Peter. The one who Jesus himself said, get behind me, Satan. Peter. The one who looked on as his friend and his mentor, his rabbi, was being spat upon and mocked and had the gall to say, I do not even know this man. Peter, the one who ran away in shame, weeping, who had disqualified himself from the love of his mentor. Peter. It just goes to show that the Spirit of God does not fall upon people because of their qualifications, but goes upon the people with shame and guilt and brokenness and depravity, the people sitting next to you, and then yourself. Spirit of God showing no favoritism, in fact, preferring those who are fully aware of their brokenness and shame. Peter says to the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's kind of a funny thing to say, but it's also like too real this side of the pandemic as we realize that that's not too far out of the question as nine o'clock looks like noon, that looks like five, that okay, let's go. It's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. There's something going on that is beyond your experience, this thing that is happening. And Peter goes on to say, what is being, what has taken place? It's from the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders under heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And hear this in Peter's climax, his conclusion of his sermon. And everybody who calls 
on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can these bones live? Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's talk about the spirit for a moment. We see a God who keeps his promises. Jesus told him in Luke 24, I'm gonna send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with the power from on high. We see that clothing. John 14, 15 through 17, if you love me and keep my commands, I will ask my father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, John 14, 25, all this I've spoken while with you, but an advocate, the Holy Spirit from whom the father will send in my name will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Jesus keeps foreshadowing this experience of Pentecost of this inbreaking of God's self into the lives of his followers. Jesus continually promising this thing that we cannot fully comprehend. We thought it was over. He defeated death. Okay, we win. Then he stays with them for 40 days and he's on a mountain and he floats in the air. And his followers, hundreds of them are looking up as he floats and he goes into the clouds and they're like, I I think he went to go grab his sword. He'll be right back. That's cool. Go, get it. Let's go, Jesus. Jesus says, wait. And so they're in this weird period of waiting and they come into a room together to pray. Let's think about that for a moment. Who are we right now? We're people who believe in Jesus, gathered together in a room, pray. And there they are. The spirit of God descends like fire and wind onto his people and it begins to move and it takes those scattered across the known world and it brings them together in this unity that speaks to the power and the promises of who God is. The Holy Spirit empowering us. Now, real quick, I want to say what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not a life force, not an energy, not the gasoline to our spirituality. The Holy Spirit is a person of God, moving, breathing, causing, healing, real, tangible, alive, relational, compassionate, empathetic, and present. That's what the Holy Spirit is. I grew up in this church. My dad's been the pastor here for 33 plus years, 34 maybe. I don't know. I should know that. Happy Father's Day, dad, if you're watching. (laughs) I grew up in this church and this church started out as Second Baptist Church. And I was actually informed recently before this service that it met in a tent until the wind blew the tent away and then it was granted land. It became Ferris Avenue Baptist Church in Ferris Avenue, on Ferris Avenue, which some of you don't even know that that's a street in Waxhatchee and you should because you live here. Come on. And Ferris Avenue Baptist Church is the church I grew up in. It had blue carpet. It had a remembrance of me table in the front. It had a big old gaudy Bible that was open to the page that I would actually like flip and choose because nobody was really paying attention to it. <laughs> but in this church, we sang hymns. I'm talking, I'm going, it's, this, look at us, look at us here. You would never know that. Look at that. Look how clear I look right here. <laughs> yeah, you see that? 
You would never know that. But we were this Baptist church, this little church off Ferris Avenue, and we sang our hymns and we omitted the verses with the Spirit because the Spirit scared us. Why? Because we didn't want to be like the Pentecostals who were raising their hands and saying weird stuff and acting weird, and we didn't want to be weird. We want to be normal accountants, okay? Here at church, give me my word, give me my meat. Let's go. None of this. Stop that. You're being weird. But then you have the other side that sensationalizes the person of the spirit and it becomes sheerly an experience where the whole spirituality comes through that dopamine release of the spiritual inbreaking and then all the life is measured on the evidence of the outward proclamation, which is not a bad thing. But if it's the only thing, then you need to look at your relationship with the spirit. Because the spirit of God is... What enables us broken, depraved individuals to be reclaimed as the sons and daughters of God created in his image. No shame, no guilt, no brokenness, no mistakes are seen. When God looks at you, he sees his spirit alive in you and he sees his son, but it's only through the spirit. In the church I pastor, our vision is to practice the way. We create space to practice the ways of Jesus together. And that's really good. We have a formational style of leadership. We want people to be disciples. We want to be apprentices of Jesus. But one of the dangers of that is sometimes we take our own potentiality and head knowledge of God and we orchestrate a life of disciplines that look really good. But I will say this, and I told this to our church too. Without the spirit of God moving us to those practices, it is all in vain. The spirit of God is tangibly evident in the lives of God's sons and daughters. It moves, it unifies, and it spreads. Those pilgrims had to go back home the diversity, the worldviews, their ideologies, their customs came together and was unified by the Spirit of God. Just like today with the people represented in this room, shame on us if we all agree on everything all the time. But when we're in here, we can agree on one thing. Jesus is who he said he was, and we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Everything else, we can talk about it later as spirit-empowered Christians, that is. We're gathered, we're unified, and when you leave this room, you're sent, you're commissioned, but you're not alone. The spirit of God is real, and it gets us back to this question. Can these bones live? Before we answer that question, I want to do a prayer for us. And it's going to make a lot of us uncomfortable, but that's okay. Being receptive and willing to something beyond ourselves is something that scares us. We like to be in control. That's one of the things that's been so destabilizing of this past year is that we've realized how little control we actually have and that doesn't make us feel good. It's okay to have our stuff together and to do the things we need to do to be in a place that we need to be. But at the end of the day, we know that we live in a broken and fallen world and we need an advocate, a helper to empower us and to move in us. Now, the followers of Jesus, their expectations were shattered. They were broken and they were sad and they were upset like many of us in this room. 
Many of us who are struggling in our marriage, wanting to call it quits. Many of us who have kids who have this octave that gives you chills down your spine as they scream, God, may they not do that today on Father's Day. Many of us who might not like our job, our people are gossips and our boss is a jerk. Some of us feel ununderstood by our parents and school is hard. Wherever you find yourself, wait. You're here. And there's something beyond ourselves that moves. This prayer that I'm gonna pray, I hope it goes beyond any of our self-potentiality of being able to make something happen spiritually in our lives. No, I don't want that. I want something to happen in your life that is so undeniably God that it strengthens your faith in such a way that it spreads like wildfire because you cannot deny it. That's the prayer and it is scary. You're not gonna become one of them Pentecostals that we're scared of. But this receptivity to the movement and inbreaking of the Holy Spirit is what I want to pray for. So we're going to pray for this baptism of fire. And I promise if you jump up and start shouting, we will ask you to leave because we're still baptistic, okay? <laughs> but what does it look like for us to honestly get beyond our crit- criticism and doubts and circumstance and just be receptive together collectively? So let's pray. Spirit of God, we're not inviting you here. We're acknowledging your presence here. Spirit of God, we pray for your manifested presence in our lives to move beyond ourselves, to be the foundation of all of our practice and being, to overflow of us in an undeniable way. God, we pray for this inbreaking. Fall now. Move. It's in your spirit that we pray and acknowledge. Amen. Son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and I will make you come to life. I will attach tendons to you and I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe from the four winds and breath and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are my people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy And say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your land. Then you will know I, the Lord, have spoken. It is done, declares the Lord. So can these bones live? Yes. Yes. Where there is no mercy, the life of God gives an abundance of it. Where there's no grace, there's an overflowing of it. Where there's no understanding or empathy, you were seen and you were affirmed. Where there is hurt, there will be relief. Where there's pain, there will be healing. Where there's death, there will be life. There is more. God, that's our proclamation today. That's our proclamation today. As we join together with our sameness and diversity represented in this room, that is our prayer today. That you do something in us that we cannot deny or understand. May we grasp this mystery by this effective, tangible presence of who you are in relationship to you. God, propel us, move us, shape us, mold us. Fire of God be present in this room as we go tell people the good news. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.